Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women, Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today, coming from Netherlands, we have an amazing guest, Nikki Van Ingen Sheinau. Nikki survived abuse as a child, which led her to marry the wrong person. Her life took her to Japan, where she thought she would leave all the history with abuse behind. Unfortunately, life does not work that way. Through suffering, she found personal growth, and in the meantime, she started her own business, Tokyo Tours, in 2013, and had a girl in 2014. In 2020, she went bankrupt due to COVID and separated from her husband. In 2021, she moved back to her home country in the Netherlands, where she tried to rebuild her life but all the trauma she suffered as a child was waiting for her when she came back, compounded by the separation from her husband. Through intense therapy, she was able to get herself back together. And now that her business is flourishing, she's slowly starting to regain her footing. Nikki, thank you very much for joining her, joining us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So Nikki, Let's dive in a little bit into your story. What mm-hmm. kind of abuse did you really overcome? It's a, it's a huge part of your life and it will inspire people to recognize themselves in your story. Can you share with us? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, well, uh, basically, um, I was put in an orphanage when I was born. Uh, I was literally born inside a toilet because my mom didn't uh, understand that she was pregnant. Uh, so a social worker or a nurse or something came around and found me there. And she rushed us both to hospital because I was also six weeks uh, premature. So I had to stay in an incubator first, and uh, my mom was uh, immediately whisked away to a psychiatric ward and then uh, involuntarily uh, admitted into a psych hospital. And uh, her parents decided what to do with me. They felt that they didn't want to raise me themselves, and they blocked my father's side of the family uh, from taking care of me because that's what they initially wanted to do uh, and decided to put me up in the orphanage instead. So staying there for one year and uh, suffering a lot of neglect uh, in that one year and not being able to bond. Uh, Finally, a family came around and um, they asked if they could take me home with them. So, uh, I mean, that was uh, late 70s. So at that time, there was not so much um, support for people wanting to adopt a child because these days there's all these classes and you have to meet all these requirements when you want to adopt. But those days it was kind of like picking out a puppy, like, oh yeah, that one over there, please. So, um, yeah, I came to live with the family and they already had three children of their own, all of them a lot older than me. So the first time I was abused, I was only four years old. I was sexually abused by a cousin and that went on for a couple of years until my grandparents passed away. 
um, but I was so young, so I didn't really realize at the time what was happening. And I thought, well, it's just a game, so I'm sure it's fine. And then when my grandparents passed away, I didn't really get to see the cousin anymore. So then it finally stopped. And then after I became a teenager, when I was around 17 years old, um, my brothers always had quite a lot of responsibility taking care of me. So when my parents were not there, they would uh, instruct my brothers to take care of me. So I was always raised with the idea that uh, adults, no matter who they are, they are infallible and you have to listen to them. And uh, there's no such word as no. If they tell you what to do, then that's what you have to do. Yeah, come here. Come here, my love. Come here, my love. Yeah. My boy wants to <laughs> be in the picture too. Um, so in any case, um, then one day, my youngest brother invited him, uh, invited me over to his house. And then um, it was really late at night. And uh, it was like 2 a.m. and I knew that I wasn't allowed to go home by myself. And then he started to touch me inappropriately. And for the longest of time, I blamed myself for not saying no or for not saying stop. But looking back on it, I feel that I didn't really have an option to say no because I was raised with the idea that you know, this is your brother and he takes care of you and uh, you can never refuse him and whatever he says or does goes. So kind of out of desperation, I thought, well, let's just let it happen, get it over with. And uh, yeah, so he raped me that night. And then uh, after that, my middle brother uh, started touching me inappropriately. And um, at one point he said, uh, you know, my marriage is really in a rut right now. And uh, my wife quite likes your boyfriend and we would like to do uh, exchange because you are not really my sister anyway, so it doesn't matter. And um, uh, I would like to have sex with you. And he tried to kiss me and he was just touching me all over. But fortunately, my middle brother, I was able to get away from him the few times that he tried something. And then I think it was either weeks or months. I don't have the timeline really in my mind properly but uh, yeah my relationship with my boyfriend uh, went downhill from there and my sister-in-law who was married to my middle brother um, she was kind of she was my confidant she was my big sister I would tell her everything she was the one person I trusted the most so one night I was talking to her and I was telling her like, oh, things are really going badly with my boyfriend. I don't really know what to do. And 
uh, I don't know how to improve things. So she told me, why don't you just tell me the things that you would like to say to him and then I will just convey the message and try to uh, uh, explain to him how you're feeling. And then the next day I heard someone come at the door and I was in the living room sleeping. So I was pretending to still be asleep. And then I heard it was my boyfriend and um, my sister-in-law opened the door and they both went upstairs. So I was listening at the bottom of the stairs and I could hear my little niece uh, playing in her room with her dolls. But I couldn't hear my sister-in-law and my boyfriend. So I thought, well, if they are talking, because that's what she offered me to talk to him and to explain my situation, then I should be able to hear their voices because I can hear my niece, but I cannot hear them. So I went upstairs and I stood on the landing. I thought if I'm there, then I probably can hear them talk, but I still couldn't hear. So I had the door handle in my hand and I thought, well, I, I just need to know. So I opened the door and basically they were in bed together having sex. And uh, after I was there, they were just gaslighting me like, oh, you didn't see anything. We were just cuddling, nothing was going on. So all I was thinking was like, I need to get out of here. So then he left and I felt super cold and like I could never get warm ever again. And I needed to get to work after that. So I took a really hot shower and I had not eaten anything all day. So I fainted apparently. So my sister-in-law went up to the bathroom and she dragged me out of the shower and put me in the bed. So well, once I woke up, she was there and she had some tea or something. Um, and she begged me not to tell anyone. And she said, oh, you know, it's been a terrible, terrible mistake. Uh, I didn't mean to do anything. We started kissing and then one thing led to another. Please do not be the cause of my marriage uh, breaking down. And if not for me, just please think of your niece. Uh, please do not let her grow up with a broken family. Uh, I beg you, do not be the reason why uh, this marriage breaks down. So uh, I told her, okay, well, fine. If you promise me you will never see him again, I will not tell anyone. I will keep the secret. And uh, then a few months later, of course, uh, my relationship broke up with the boyfriend. And uh, two months later, uh, my kind of mother-in-law <laughs> called me. So the mother of my boyfriend, she called me and she said, I would like to invite you over for dinner. And I said, okay, well, sure, I'll come over. So I went to see her and she said, uh, you know, your sister-in-law has still been seeing my son and I feel it's very inappropriate because she is a lot older than him. Uh, she was like 11 years older than him. And uh, they're in out in the street and they're kissing and they're following each other and all the neighbors see and I feel very uncomfortable by it. And uh, I'm not sure if there's anything you can do about this, but I still wanted you to know. Um, so then I went home and I completely broke down and I told my parents 
and uh, at first my mom was uh, very protective of me and she called my sister-in-law and she started arguing with my sister-in-law on the phone and uh, my brother could only hear part of the conversation and he saw his wife crying and getting very upset so he took over the phone and was like what are you doing and why are you making her so upset so my mom said oh well you have to ask her what happened on this and this date and then it kind of all um came out the um, uh cheating in any case i hadn't told her about the abuse and uh yeah, after that, I also told her about the abuse that my one brother had raped me and the other brother tried to uh, multiple times. And uh, together with the cheating, I just didn't want to see my brothers anymore. And then my mom started pressuring me and she said, oh, you know, you're the person responsible for me not being able to see my sons you're tearing my family apart why can't you stop and be normal and uh, let's not talk about this and you are just uh, misinterpreting your brother's love they didn't mean anything by it that is just the way they show you that they love you and uh you know your brothers are coming over at the house and you better be okay with that because I don't want this to continue like this and I want us all to be able to spend time together in the same uh, house so I was basically forced to um, accept them back into my life by my mom and uh, yeah looking back she's always been a narcissist always like the first memories I have of her is her crying because I did something wrong and then when I tried to comfort her she would tell me like oh yeah you're such a bad child and you're making me cry and uh, if only you were a good child then I wouldn't be so upset with you but she's never really crying she's just fake crying but that was her way to get her to do to get me to do what she wanted and she was always doing stuff like that so if I wanted to go on a holiday she would be like oh you're doing that to ruin my life you're just you hate me and uh, you don't care for me at all all you do is go on a trip and you're not thinking about how that will affect me and I'm going to be alone and how can you leave me like that so she was always treating me like that and I never really realized because I never really experienced anything else so I thought that was normal and then uh, I was 29 and uh, you know I had this idea like oh maybe I will not meet the man of my dreams. Maybe I will not have the opportunity to uh, get married and have children because uh, all of the guys I had been dating, they were never really interested in me as a person and only, uh, yeah, never really very serious about me. So then I met my husband and um, straight away he was like, after two dates, uh, he gave me his house key and told me like, oh, you can come 
and see me whenever you like. I really like you so much and uh, I really want us to have a relationship together. And after two months together, he says, why don't you uh, cancel the lease of your apartment and come live with me? If things don't work out, you can always move back to your parents and we'll just put all your furniture in storage. So after two months, I moved in with him. And uh, right from the start, he was love bombing me. It's like always bringing me flowers and uh, making me food and taking me out to amazing places. So that felt absolutely wonderful because I never experienced that growing up. I was always neglected, like, oh, you're the little one. No one's going to listen to you. You just... Uh, uh, like my mom as well, like uh, when she wanted to play with me or play between brackets. So she kind of saw me as some kind of stuffed animal or doll or something that she would grab and put on her lap whenever she felt like it. And uh, when we went on holidays, she put me in wooden shoes. So it would be very noticeable that I was uh, coming around the corner, so to speak. So with my blonde hair and the cute dresses and the wooden shoes, people would take pictures of me and be like, oh, it's this little girl and she's so cute and so adorable. So my mom would get all of the attention like, oh, yeah, she's my daughter. Um, but whenever it was inconvenient, she would just lock me in my room and leave me to cry. And she would be like, yeah, she will stop crying eventually. It's fine. So it was either attention but according to what she wanted or she would just lock me in my room because I was being difficult and my dad was always afraid to uh, make her angry so he was always very hands-off like yeah no I'm not gonna get involved just go to your mom do whatever your mom wants ask your mom don't come to me so yeah I didn't really have anyone in my corner so to speak and then I met my husband and he was kind of the same. So I thought he was really strong and he would be like anchor in my life and he would take care of me. But he soon uh, he started gaslighting me as well. Like uh, when I turned 30, he said, uh, yeah, you have to celebrate your birthday and you have to invite all my friends to your party and you have to pay for everything. We're going to hold your birthday into this bar that I really like. And this is what we're going to do. And I said, well, I really, I don't really like birthdays. I don't really know your friends that well. I feel very uncomfortable doing this. And I, he said, well, if you do not want to celebrate your birthday according to my wishes, I know what kind of person you are. And uh, then you do not um, fit into my life. And then you're not the type of person that I want to be with. So I'm going to break up with you if you do not do as I tell you. Um, so, yeah, that was what I was used to. So I was like, OK, well, I don't want to upset you and of course I want to stay with you and if that makes you happy I will uh, just uh, do it to please you and uh, yeah so we were together for five years and there were other points along the way where he exhibited this type of behavior like on Valentine's Day 
he would go out with his friend and then get super drunk and call me at 2 a.m. in the morning to come and pick him up with the car, that kind of thing. Um, and then after five years, he said, well, how would you feel about moving to, uh, uh, to Tokyo for a few years? So I said, yeah, be fine to see if you can find a job. And right before then, I had a nervous breakdown at work. Um, so, um, yeah, I had a lot of issues. I couldn't work and um, all of the abuse that happened in my past, I had completely blocked it. I did not even remember what happened with my brothers. And because of the nervous breakdown and the um, burnout, all of that came back and also uh, you know, my relationship with my mom that she was always trying to pressure me to do what she wanted to do. And during the breakdown, I was so vulnerable. So I said, well, I cannot deal with you as well right now. And she just kept pressuring me. She would come around unannounced and said, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm here. Open the door. I need to be with you. And uh, this is what we're going to do. So going to Tokyo sounded very uh, attractive to me. Like, oh, I can leave all my troubles behind. I do not have to face that anymore. I can just rebuild my life, start something new. But actually, being in Tokyo, I was really isolated because I didn't have my job anymore. I didn't have my friends. I didn't have my family. I didn't have my own income. So I was completely cut off from the world, which is what my husband probably really liked because that way I was even easier to manipulate. So yeah, he was always gaslighting me, always telling me, oh, today you need to do A, and then tomorrow he would be like, no, I never told you to do A, you need to do B. Obviously, A doesn't make any sense. So I could never live up to his expectations because he kept changing them. And uh, every day he was angry at me for something or other and always blaming me for everything like oh you're so unattractive you're such a bad um, housewife you take care of me so poorly uh, this food is absolutely horrible I can't possibly eat this I'm going to go out to a restaurant because this is just terrible and uh, in a way it kind of uh, felt satisfying because it gave me the idea that uh, I was in control of the situation. So if I was a better person, if I was more attractive, if I was skinnier, if I took care of the house better, then everything, all the pieces would fall into place and everything would be good again. And my husband would love me again and uh, my life would be perfect. But of course, no matter what I tried and no matter what I did, he was never happy and he was always finding new ways to blame me or new ways to tell me I was terrible. And his mom was the same, like when he told her that he wanted to marry me, her first reaction was, you need to tell her to lose 20 kilograms before you will marry her because she will be unable to take care of you in her current state. 
Um, so pressure her to do that first before you give her a ring because otherwise she cannot give you grandbabies. Uh, give me grandbabies and you uh, children and she will not be able to take care of your children and take care of you. So that is the first requirement. And uh, she was always blaming me for stuff like, oh, yeah, you know, you need to. You're not wearing makeup. How can you expect your husband to love you? Uh, look at the way you're dressed. Uh, you have to wait for him when he comes home and give him a warm hand massage when he gets home. If you do not do this every day, of course, he's going to cheat on you or come home late or do things you don't like it's because it's all your fault. You're such a terrible wife and housewife. And uh, later on, when I had my daughter, you're such a terrible mother. Look at how you're taking care of your child. This is just horrible. So both of them would always find new ways to uh, bring me down. And uh, at one point when I had my daughter and I wanted to try out for another one, my husband literally put a laptop next to my head with pornography on there because he told me, you're so incredibly unattractive. I can't possibly have sex with you looking the way you do. So I will need some distractions so I don't have to look at your face. That's the only way I can attempt to try to uh, make love to you. So at one point I was like, you know, if you. Um, if you want to uh, make love to me, then you come to me and I'm not going to be the one to initiate anymore because that is what I had been doing for the previous years. He never showed any interest in me uh, after we moved to Japan and especially after I had my daughter. He, basically, as soon as I was pregnant, he was like, phew, my job is done. That means I never have to touch you ever again. So um, yeah, I still tried after that. And then after a couple of years, I was like, yeah, you know, it's just not worth it. And uh, I'm OK with not having sex if it means that I'm treated this way every time. So if you want it, you come to me, but he never did. So then uh, maybe after my daughter was around two, we never had sex together anymore. And even if I just wanted to give him a hug, he would be like, oh, get away from me. Oh, don't touch me. So. Um, yeah, it was a very difficult situation being by myself all the time, not having any friends, not having anyone in my corner. And because of the whole isolation, it started to make sense, everything he was telling me. So every day he would tell me like, you are horrible, you're terrible, you're uh, you don't know anything, you're stupid, you're unattractive. Uh, he wouldn't even look at me in the face. So if we had dinner together, he would look like that away from me. So I said, why aren't you looking at me? Can we at least have eye contact? And he said, no, you I, I can't possibly look at you because you disgust me. So, so Nikki, my question for you, we really understand the depth of the emotional abuse gaslighting, the making you the problem when when you were just like trying to make it work. We really understand 
the, 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 the steps of the narcissistic abuse that mm-hmm. you got all your life with the molestation, with the sexual abuse, with all kind of horrible things, including being you, getting you unrooted and going to a completely different country with a completely different language and different writing of the language on top of that. Yes. So a lot to learn. Uh, my question for you, we understand that now you are at a good place in your mm-hmm. life. We understand that now you have healed all of that and you have transformed. I understand. And my question for you, what was that shift in consciousness that one day you just say, you know what? Enough is enough. Yeah. I take my daughter and I leave. Yeah. Or maybe I do something and I change my life. So what was that? okay, now it's too much. Now I take care of me because you never do or something like that. Well, actually, it was uh, the death of both my parents. So in 2018 and 2019, uh, first in 2018, my mom passed away. And then one year later, my dad passed away. And in a way, it felt kind of like a relief because now I did not have anyone with certain expectations of me that I needed to fulfill or I needed to be this type of person or there wasn't anyone uh, I needed to uh, take into account anymore. I could just decided I can be my own person because my brothers never really took care of me. They literally abused me. So I felt there's nothing holding me back anymore. I can be whoever I want to be. I do not have to stay in this situation anymore. And um, at the time, I was also watching a lot of uh, RuPaul Drag Race (laughs) and started listening to the music. And uh, RuPaul says a lot of interesting things like, um, um, if they're not paying your bills, uh, pay these people no mind. And um, um, yeah, just be your own person and be comfortable in your own skin and you are worth it and you matter no matter what other people say. And um, he also says, you know, feelings aren't real. Uh, And by that he means do not be led by your emotions because your emotions can really drag you down and put you into a path that is not necessarily very helpful. Um, And then COVID happened. And uh, now before COVID, uh, I knew that my husband was cheating on me. But, you know, I felt I want to give my daughter the family life that she grows up with a father and a mother. So I can survive. Uh, My husband is never there. He's always traveling or he comes home late drunk uh, by the time I'm sleeping. So he has his life. I have my life. Of course, there's no love in my life other than the love of my daughter, but I can withstand that. And then COVID happened and he was there all the time. And it was just driving me insane. I was getting so annoyed with him that I we're just fighting every day all day long and I started to stand up to myself and not be put down by him anymore and uh, he did not like it and he did not know how to handle it and he 
uh, felt like, oh, okay, I just need to put on more and then she will go back to being the submissive person that she always was before. Um, so that was really hard. And then at one point I just had enough and uh, he came home drunk. He forgot to lock his phone. So I got the phone out and I knew about the cheating because he was on the balcony whenever he had time off and he was just texting. And when I came close to him, he would put his phone away like, don't look at the screen. So I knew something was going on. So I took photos of everything incriminating on his phone. And the next morning I told him, you know, I don't know where you're going to sleep tonight, but it's not going to be here. So just grab your stuff and go. I'm going to go back to the Netherlands and uh, that's it. And uh, he said, well, he was managing my uh, finances for my business. And he said, uh, if that's what you want to do, that's fine, but I'm going to leave you destitute. You're going to have absolutely nothing when you want to uh, start over again. So if that's what you want to do, then uh, fine. And um, I told him, well, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you'll do. So there's no way that I can prevent you from doing that. So if that's what you want for uh, the mother of your child and your daughter to be destitute and go back to the Netherlands with nothing, you'll do that anyway. So uh, he kept his promise. I was literally going back in 2021 with two bags and nothing else. He said, only take the things that you really need right now. So one bag for her, one bag for me. And he said, put everything in boxes and I'll send it later to you by mail. But his new girlfriend just threw everything away that was mine. So like photos, letters, clothes, shoes, uh, everything. Um, but yeah, so I started over here. I came here in the Netherlands. I told my oldest brother, the only one who hadn't molested me, like this is going on. I might need your help. Would you be available to help me out? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just send me a list of the things you need and I will help you. And then right before I was supposed to leave to the Netherlands, this house that I am in now uh, was our um, is our uh, property, but there were people living here, so it, it looked like I wasn't able to uh, move in straight away. So I reached out to my brother and I said, "Well, you have three spare bedrooms. Can I maybe stay for a couple of days or a week or a month? Even I don't know what's going to happen." And uh, he was like. Oh, yeah, well, actually, that is really inconvenient. And uh, no, I don't want you in my house. I don't want you in my space. And I said, well, I'm literally going to have to sleep on a park bench. Is that what you want for me? And he said, oh, you know, you're very resourceful. I'm sure you'll figure something out and good luck with everything. And uh, um, I'm sure it will be fine. So fortunately, two days before I was supposed to move back, I got news from the um, a realtor saying that the house was uh, vacated and I could move in. And then my husband told me, I'm going to give you two months to come up with a mortgage. 
if you cannot pay the mortgage after two months, I'm going to put the house up for sale and I'm going to kick you out and you can go to a women's shelter or something because I can't possibly pay for longer than two months. Uh, so fortunately, I was able to uh, get a new job, but he was giving me so little money because my uh, business was still um, not producing any money. So most days I, we would have cereal for dinner or I would tell my daughter who had come with me initially like, oh, I'm not really hungry, you know, I'll eat when you're asleep and uh, it'll be fine and uh, uh, or let's just have breakfast tomorrow morning or whatever. So the first two months were super hard and then finally when I started to get my own money, it started to get better. So yeah, the first year, year and a half until uh, my business started to, uh, uh, the, the, basically the border with Japan opened up again and I could start doing the guided tours again. It was just really terrible trying to survive and uh, get the whole uh, divorce settled. And of course my family was like, oh, you know, just because you, decided to come back to the Netherlands, that should not be our problem. So since our family, uh, since our parents are no longer alive, uh, you just figure things out for yourself. And we now have our own family. So we want to focus mostly on that and we cannot really have you uh, interfering into our family affairs. So basically I felt like I didn't have anyone anymore, not not in Japan, but not in Netherlands either. So um, yeah, I really struggled and especially with depression and my daughter also, she um, was very depressed and had very strong feelings about the divorce and coming back to the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, taking therapy uh, was what finally got me back on track. And also when the business started going again, kind of have the regularity going to work every day. And uh, that helped me to, uh, yeah, kind of slowly, slowly start to uh, gather my thoughts and to uh, get back on top again. Yes, wow. That is a that is a kind of story that sadly is going on and sadly stays silent mm -hmm. and not said. This is why we have that kind of show where we break the silence around abuse, where we dare to say how life really is behind our cute face, our cute pictures mm -hmm. and our make-believe perfect family. Yes, exactly. And um, one of the big takeaway of your experience is how you have been gaslighted for things you had nothing to do with, mm. such as your um, sister-in-law telling you, you are not going to be the one causing my family to break if you speak about me having sex with your boyfriend yes. is like wow so she is making you responsible for her breaking her family when she is the cause of yes. it but she does not recognize it no 
that kind of things, which is completely twisted, completely distorted. Exactly. No responsibility whatsoever. But that is the art of narcissism. Yes, exactly. How to be the best ourselves and make others feel that they are the problem or they are the cause yeah. of the problem, which is truly, truly wrong. And um, somehow you have always kept hope that there is a better life for yourself and for your daughter yeah you know somehow you have always continued in that direction I, I thought at least if I go back to the Netherlands I still have the opportunity to make something out of my life and to start over again and maybe find love at some point uh, if I stay in Japan it will be more sacrificing and more uh focusing on what other people need and that is what i've been doing my entire life and i feel i need to figure out what does nikki want what does nikki need how can nikki grow and be a better person and be happy in her life rather than always focusing on how can i be of service to others mm -hmm. exactly so you said that you are driving tours in Tokyo. So tell us a little bit about that yeah. because that is something that is pretty fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, um, yeah, because I couldn't find a job in Japan uh, in 2013 with the help of a friend, I started Tokyo Tours. Uh, she was the one that suggested that I become a tour guide. And she said, oh, you know, if you create the website and the email address, I will write a review for you. And then uh, I work as a flight attendant. So all of my coworkers who come to Tokyo for work will want to do a guided tour with you. And uh, yeah, I sent her the information. And after one week, I already received an email from one of her coworkers asking to do a tour with me. So I was very happy. And then three months in, I got uh, got an email from a woman who said, oh, would you consider hiring me? And I thought, oh, wow, no, I've never considered hiring anyone. But that sounds nice because then someone else is working and I'm still getting paid. So she was my first hire. And then I started uh, attracting uh, travel agents to uh, sell my tours as a product and uh, they started asking like oh do you know someone in Kyoto and in Osaka and not just Tokyo and Hokkaido and Okinawa and everywhere so slowly I started to uh, get more people to come and work for me and then in 2014 I became pregnant so I thought that was a good time for me to kind of step back a little and let other people do the operational stuff and focus more on the business itself like building the brand uh, creating the business identity um, develop a training program for uh, and the onboarding process for new hires and all that kind of thing and then in 2018 uh, I was ready to sell the business and I asked someone to, uh, if she was interested in uh, purchasing it, uh, someone who was working for me for a few years already. And uh, she told me, no, that's a terrible idea, but would you consider taking me on as a partner? 
And I thought, no, I'll not consider that. But what do you have in mind? So since 2018, I have a partner and I do Tokyo tours together with her. And she's very detailed oriented and about the list and everything is color coordinated and the planning and uh, uh, she loves that kind of thing and admin and numbers and spreadsheets. And I'm more the creative one who thinks in broad lines and big pictures. Uh, I'm very out there and she's like, no, I don't want anyone to see me or talk to me. So I'm at the front and she's at the back and we really complement each other well. Uh, the only thing is she's very risk averse and I'm very much, yeah, but you have to try on new things and the only way you can grow is through failure and let's just see how it goes. So that's the only area where we sometimes collide and she's like, no, not yet. And I'm like, yes, let's go. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So you found an amazing partnership yeah. to really help with running the business because one of the things which is true is that when we are business owners, there is always two hats. One hat is being the business owner and thinking entrepreneurial journey. And then there is thinking about the product, the service, what we offer, the experience that we deliver to our clients and other things like that. And they are not the same thing. Mm. It's two different lives, even though, yeah, they work together. And yes, the business has to make the service work and the service has to be packaged in a business in order to be sold and to be marketed and presented. That is truly amazing that you found a partner who actually helped you make both work so that together you can actually have a flourishing business. As you said, you have now a flourishing business. Now it works because now you are complete with your partner, with the two parts of that thriving business. That's truly amazing. So where do people reach out to you to actually have a tour in Tokyo or any other uh, place in Japan or yes. elsewhere? Uh, well, they can uh, Google me um, uh, or go to my homepage. That's www.tokyo. Tours and Tokyo is spelled with an I, so T O K I O and then tours, T O U R S dot N L. And um, uh, on any social media platform, they can find me under Tokyo Tours, so Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Tokyo Tours and you will find me. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, all of the tours are listed on the website, but if people have special requests, uh, then uh, we can handle that as well. Right now we have a group of 60 people uh, going uh, through Tokyo with uh, our guides. So uh, from small <laughs> to really big, we can manage that and anything in between. So yeah, we look forward to uh, seeing them. That sounds truly amazing. That sounds like a plan. That's really amazing. And you really have broken the silence around abuse, mm. broken what was wrong in your life, healed all of that in order to be able to tell your story without like crying yeah. and without feeling it all. Just able to say, yeah, this is what happened. It was bad, but this is just what happened now. I made the best out of it. Yes. And now it's like, okay, you know what? Let's have fun. Let's have people visiting Japan. Let's have 
people coming together. Let's build communities and relationships so that it really works well. Yes. That is truly commendable. Thank you. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Yeah, my motto in life is make it work. So don't think how, what is holding me back and why or how can I not do certain things, but think of how can I make it happen? So uh, do not think in problems, but think in solutions. And tomorrow is a new day. So tomorrow you can start all over again if necessary. And uh, the only way to grow is through pain and through making mistakes. So don't be afraid, just dive right in and the things will work out in the end. Just look at me. That's truly amazing. Nikki, you are a true inspiration. Thank you for sharing with us uh, your story, your experience. I know many people c relate to you, have been adopted or abandoned or, or gaslit or anything mm -hmm. like that. And they can really understand where you come from. And by showing that, yes, you can absolutely be the great life for yourself. You can heal. You can be on the other side successfully and victoriously. You are a true example of that, such an inspiration. Thank you. Thank Nikki. you for that. And thank you for having me on and, and uh, share uh, my story with your audience. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.